So how many of you know the Zen story about the pouring of tea? Uh, a man comes to see the Zen master and, and he wants the Zen master to teach him and he's, and he's been away um, studying and studying and studying and he thinks that he knows a great deal about Zen and about, and about all of the uh, things that one hopes to discover on a Zen path. And so he sits down to tea with the Zen master, and he's telling the Zen master about the things that he's learned. The Zen master is pouring tea, and he keeps pouring, and he keeps pouring, and it spills all over the table, and the, and the person that had come to see the Zen master said, it won't hold anymore, you've got to stop. And the Zen master said, if you want to learn first, you have to empty if there is no room, you cannot be filled. We have to become empty before we can ever discover what full is. Those who have, through one path or another, found a place in recovery communities or are familiar with uh, recovery programs, um, no, not, if, not just if you're familiar with them, if you have cause to be in one, you have benefited from an amazing gift that I suspect many people in our societies have not had the benefit of. People come to those programs because they are desperate. They are at a loss and have no place else to turn. The gift that they show up with, and they and sometimes it's used as, as G-O-D, gift of desperation. Um, when you show up at those places, there's nothing left. You're already empty. And from that place, we can call it a rock bottom, and then at rock bottom, you've got a solid foundation from which to build, right? I mean, if you're, if you're building something, if you're not going down to the bedrock, you know, how long it'll last is kind of up in the air. Anyway, in, in recovery programs, and y'all that are very familiar with them, forgive me, uh, you have to acknowledge that you're not in control of everything. You cannot manage everything. In programs, it's our lives that are unmanageable and, uh, and aspects of our lives over which we have no control whatsoever. 
And so then the next, that's step one. There are 12 steps, right? The step one is acknowledging that you're not in control. The second step is acknowledging or coming to believe that something that has more control than you is available. Or something greater than you um, can reset that equilibrium. And then there's deciding to hand our personality and our will and our wishes over to something bigger than us. And, and when people come in, first that might be uh, the G-O-D, may be a gift of desperation. Then it can become a group of drunks. And then it becomes good orderly direction. And you can fill in the next GODs as you develop for yourself. But the deal is, when you go through these steps, something starts to change you. And it would not happen if you weren't empty to start with and willing to try something that you would never have been willing to do before, which is letting something else be the boss of you. Now, next you go through intense, methodical, and thorough self-examination. You look at everything in your life the thing, uh, and try to find um, the things you carry around with you. And then, after we've discovered uh, our own moral shortcomings, the next step is confession before the God of your understanding, which is in transition here as you're moving through these changes and yourself and some other person and it's in that step that you begin to have skin in the game because now there's some humility So we get ready to give up our favorite flaws along with the ones uh, we're happy to let go of. And then we pray for help. But now all along you've been developing a sense of relationship with something outside of yourself. So, um, And prayers, while there is... Uh, Suggested language for them. You know, it's not mandated that it be articulated in those precise terms. And then you, you look back over this, this thorough examination of self that you've done and figure out what the damage may, what damage you've done. And you get ready to make amends for that, make apologies, but amend means to change your, change your behavior so that that doesn't happen again. 
and do stuff uh, differently. You, again, methodically move through taking responsibility for, for things that have been our shortcomings along the way. And then we continue to keep track of ways that we mess up and when we uh, knowledge, when we see our old habits of behavior coming back up, we apologize immediately. And we keep trying to change that behavior. Then we, then we uh, make sure that we have developed a consistent life of spiritual practice. Prayer and meditation. Um, but with the intent of doing what this study pillar in our congregation is about, to grow spiritually, to develop spiritually. The promise is that you will have awakenings in spiritual form and that, that you can carry that out and share that with other people that need that. Those are the 12 steps. Then it becomes a dance. That's okay, so those are the 12 steps of recovery. Then it becomes a dance between emptiness, emptying, and filling up. Because our wills will step back in every time. And willpower doesn't get us there. It's a great tool, and we have to use reason, and we have to use logic to evaluate things along the way. But if we are totally dependent on our willpower, oh, this morning in class, in the, in the adult education class, we're still listening to some Pema children, um, but she was talking about everybody wants to be happy, but what we understand happy to be is for everybody to agree with us. And that's our will. That's what we want. And in the world, guess what? That kind of happiness, if it's having everybody agree with you, will never happen. So if you want some joy, if you want some peace, if you want your light to shine, you have to find that peace someplace else. So as we're practicing new things, trying to find that peace, we develop uh, practices that help us intentionally empty out. Stop our heads for a little while. Stop the chatter um, so that it may become prayer. Like one of our readings said. And from those places, the kind of fullness that is possible the kind of fullness that is potential is 
It's like the first, have you, have you ever fallen in love? If you've ever fallen in love and were just consumed, that kind of fullness for life and not just an individual is what happens. But you gotta keep emptying out to get it back. Can't maintain it unless you know you're Jesus. He got mad, he cried. Um, Gandhi, Dr. King grieved. I never saw that man smile. But he had peace. And he had connection. And you can bet your life that it was his spiritual practices that gave him the courage and strength and being filled with something other than his own willpower that carried him to do the work he did. I'm an introvert. The way that I feel closest to the God of my understanding is in solitude. But it isn't there that I learn how to bring that into the world. And the easiest way to bring that into the world is in a partnership. But sometimes my dance partner doesn't have skin. And I, when I lived in California, every, every place I would go out, there were always just scads of women that were dancing by themselves. Just having a great time. Every time there was music, any kind of music, they were up dancing. And no, no partners, they were just dancing. And I, I would venture to say they were dancing with a spiritual partner. Something elevated their spirit that wasn't just the music. Creativity does that. And it's, and it's that spirit that feeds creativity. Anyway, there's a reading in our hymnal by Lao Tzu from the Taoist tradition um, that goes, 30 spokes share the wheels hub, but it's the center hole that makes the wheel useful. Shape a clay into a vessel, and it's the space within that makes it useful. If it doesn't have emptiness, you can't use the vessel for anything. Um, it's the space within that makes it useful. Cut doors and windows into a room to make it useful. If it's closed up, if it's full of stuff, it might be okay to contain that stuff, but you can't use it for anything else. It's the holes that make things useful. Therefore, profit comes from what is there, but usefulness 
comes from what is not there. And I know that I go back to this with some frequency, but I really, things that I read, think programs that I hear, uh, TED Talks and NPR and, and uh, different books, you know, we, it talks about the evolution of humankind, and it's not just biological. And the limits that we've lived with during this stretch of humanity we're bumping up against. But the deal with that is that there are probably people being born now that are an evolutionary shift from where we've been. Now we can't change where we, in time and history and biology, we originated. We were all someplace on that continuum, at least in our physical existence. And we're hardwired with certain capacities uh, um, beyond which we have no biological, intellectual control. We can develop our intellect, but we can't make it reach farther than it will go. We can um, develop our capacity to... Uh, heighten our senses, our five senses, or six. Um, and once we've reached as far as we can go with that, it doesn't give us the ability to develop more dimensional perception. Three dimensions, four dimensions, five dimensions. Um, <laughs> That doesn't mean that other dimensions aren't there. And I've talked before about how there are bugs that, and animals that see colors we can't see and that hear things that we can't hear and that sense things that we just are clueless about until after the fact. So those things are there, we just don't perceive them. And if this is all functioning in biology, in this relationship with uh, matter, then if we had a different relationship with matter, the likelihood that we could experience other things is pretty steep. So the discoveries that are ongoing in science and uh, of, of all different sorts introduce ideas that we never thought about before. And it happens almost, it happens every day. It's happening all over the world and in all kinds of scientific fields, new paradigms, new methods, new understandings, and the ways that we've thought about things before, if we try to project what's coming next, built on those, we're using an archaic model. Because what comes next is contingent on things we can't even guess. If we're looking at big pictures, if we're, if we're talking about the development of justice and humankind and time and... and so... 
in my personal experience. And you are welcome to disagree with this. The best way to have a sense of any of that stuff that's beyond my capacity to articulate is to spend time in that emptiness. Listening to something that I can't can't imagine beyond my comprehension, stopping my head for a little while or trying like crazy. And the paradox of that is if you're trying and you're not doing it. But, um, uh, but we can discover ever better ways to do our work. We can discover ever better ways to be ourselves and to walk that out in the world and make a difference and, and change the dynamic of the world around us in ever subtle ways. There's so much more than our typical use of five senses would indicate. That's why back in the 70s they were saying, turn off the senses, shut their doors, and and tune out and turn on. You don't have to use drugs to do it. Um, There's a Reading in the hymnal from Kabir. Kabir was a 15th century Indian mystic and poet who grew up in a Muslim household but was heavily uh, affected by uh, his Hindu teacher. And he grew up to become critical of both Hindu and Muslim traditions. And he is um, credited with having a lot of influence on the Bhakti movement, which Bhakti is the path of devotion. And, and so his reading from the hymnal uh, is called This Clay Jug. Inside this clay jug there are canyons and pine mountains and the maker of canyons and pine mountains. All seven oceans are inside and hundreds of millions of stars. The acid that tests gold is in there, and the one who judges jewels is in there. The music from the strings no one touches, and the source of all water. If you want truth, I will tell you the truth, friend. Listen. The God whom I love is inside. I've gone a long time and I didn't get to half of what I wanted to say. It's a dance. You can't be filled if you're full. So to close it up with a a bit of the recovery programs. Um, I'll use just a piece of a reading called A Vision for You. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to that God and to your fellows. 
Clear away the wreckage of the past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and we will surely meet some of you will surely meet some of us as you trudge what you, which used to mean walk of purpose, the road of happy destiny. May God bless and keep you until then.